This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive. For Friday, September 22nd, 2023, I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, the UAW expands its week-old strike against two of the Detroit three automakers, but spares Ford. We're not done at Ford. We still have serious issues to work through, but we do want to recognize that Ford is showing that they're serious about reaching a deal. At GM and Stellantis, it's a different story. That's the message UAW President Sean Fain delivered during a broadcast this morning. He announced the union would strike dozens of GM and Stellantis parts distribution centers across the country. Then, as promised, thousands of workers walked off the job about two hours later. We'll talk about what the strike escalation could mean for dealerships and a labor expert at Cornell University weighs in on the developments and how it impacts the UAW's lowest paid workers. They are not fighting for the highest paid UAW members. They're fighting for the lowest paid and they're trying to bring everybody up. Plus, if you need a break from the UAW news, LendBuzz CEO Amite Kalmar talks about how the auto lending industry is using new methods to determine credit worthiness, including artificial intelligence. I think AI is going to change a lot of the sort of industries or verticals that we know of today. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. UAW President Sean Fain detailed how the union strike against Detroit automakers would expand during a live stream address on Facebook this morning. Today, at noon Eastern time, all of the parts distribution facilities at General Motors and Stellantis are being called to stand up and strike. We will be striking 38 locations across 20 states, across all nine regions of the UAW. The UAW spared Ford additional production stoppages. Fain said the sides made real progress in talks this week. He said Ford had increased its offers for profit-sharing payouts and job security, but he added the two sides still have serious issues to work through. The strike is now in its eighth day. Fain said the expansion takes the UAW's fight nationwide. We're not going to wait around forever for a fair contract at the big three. The companies know how to make this right. Fain said the UAW will shut down parts distribution until GM and Stellantis, quote, come to their senses and come to the table with a serious offer. Workers at the locations added to the strike package and ship parts that are used to repair customers' vehicles. Dealerships could see their service businesses hampered by the escalation. About 5,600 workers at GM and Stellantis parts distribution centers are now fresh off their jobs. That's in addition to about 13,000 workers at three assembly plants, one at each Detroit Three company that the union ordered onto picket lines last week. Those workers remain on strike. 
We're also hearing from automakers about the UAW's latest announcement. Ford said it's working diligently with the UAW to reach a deal that rewards its workforce and enables the automaker to invest in a vibrant and growing future. The company went on to say the sides have significant gaps to close on the key economic issues. The automaker's progress with the UAW comes several days after it reached a tentative agreement on a new contract with Canada's Unifor Union, avoiding a second strike. Meanwhile, GM called the expansion unnecessary. The automaker said in a statement it has presented five separate economic proposals that are historic, addressing areas that team members have said matter most, wage increases and job security, while allowing GM to succeed and thrive into the future. It went on to say it will continue to bargain in good faith with the union to reach an agreement as quickly as possible. Automotive News has not yet received a response from Stellantis as of recording time. This afternoon, UAW workers across the country loudly spread their message on picket lines. Hey, no parks! 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 And joining striking workers at the Mopar Parts Facility in Centerline, Michigan, the head of the UAW, President Sean Fain. When bad things happen and things are happening right now, it's all because the companies. They own it. It's on their shoulders. Yeah. In Pontiac, a suburb north of Detroit, UAW members also picketed. Bill Edwards, who works at General Motors Pontiac Redistribution Center, was among them. We are one as a whole. We are all in this together. We're all family here. All of my brothers and sisters out here, we work together every day. We support each other every day. And this is a very historical movement. This is a labor movement, in my opinion. They needed to happen, and it has happened. It's the 1930s of today, but just different ways of going about it. So, you know, we're standing up. We'll be here till the end, whatever it takes. The UAW's strategy of having targeted strikes against the Detroit Three aims to damage the company's reputations and, quote, keep them wounded for months. That's from private messages written by a top aide to Fane. Automotive News obtained the messages on Thursday. They indicate that the union's goal is to extract gains from the automakers by pitting them against one another instead of using the pattern bargaining approach of past negotiations. They were viewed by top executives at the companies and have added to concerns among them that the union hasn't been bargaining in good faith. That's according to two sources with knowledge of the negotiations. Stellantis called the comments by UAW Communications Director Jonah Furman, quote, incredibly disturbing. They were first published Thursday evening by the Detroit News. Furman did not respond to requests for comment from Automotive News. When reached by the Detroit News, he said they were private messages that, quote, you shouldn't have. Ford spokesperson Mark Truby called the messages, quote, disappointing to say the least, given what is at stake for our employees, the companies, and this region. Truby went on to say, For our part, we will continue to work day and night, bargaining in good faith to reach an agreement that rewards our workforce and allows Ford to invest in a vibrant and growing future. GM echoed disappointment, saying in a statement today that the decision to expand the strike adds validity to the blueprint identified in the leaked text and said, quote, the UAW leadership is manipulating the bargaining process for their own personal agendas. And now, for help making sense of the UAW's strike strategy, we turn to Arthur Wheaton. He's Director of Labor Studies at Cornell University with expertise in negotiations. Art Wheaton, welcome back to Daily Drive. Happy to be here. So we just heard the announcement from Sean Fain. A lot of news in there. We saw 
Let's start with the expansion of the strike. They're now going after parts distribution centers for General Motors and Stellantis. It's dozens of facilities around the country. What do you make of that decision? I think it's strategic. I think it hits pretty hard in terms of the impact, not on just one or two states, whether it's Michigan or Ohio. It definitely hits across the country. And it also hits at a very important constituency for General Motors and Stellantis, which is their dealership network. So they don't own the dealerships. So the dealerships are going to be calling saying, hey, get this done, because a lot of people who just spent $50,000 can't get their car fixed. Yeah, it's a huge pressure point on the dealerships who are, as you noted, important partners <laughs> to these automakers. I also wondered, it struck me that Going after the parts distribution centers really highlights the issue of the pay tiers. That these are the folks who are making typically, I think, $24 an hour instead of 32 or whatever it is, and that that could really be a big lift for them if Sean Fain gets what he wants, which is to get them brought up to the same wages as the people working in the assembly lines. Yeah, and a lot of those people that are making up to $24, $25 per hour only get there after eight years. It takes them eight years to climb to that $25 rate. And the UAW wants it 90 days to go up to more towards $32 an hour. So there's some big differences. And there's also very large profit margins at those parts mm -hmm. distribution centers. They make a lot more profit. As anyone who's ever gone to get your car fixed at the dealership knows, they don't give you the discount price. You, you pay for those parts. They don't give them away. Factory certified. That's uh, <laughs> there's value there, I guess. So let's talk about they're only doing this to GM and Stellantis because uh, Sean Fain seems pleased with the progress at Ford. Doesn't seem like things have moved a whole lot from where they were last week. But uh, I guess what what is your take on the the Ford progress and what he had to say about that? I think we will know a lot more on Monday morning for what's going on for Ford because by Sunday they will announce at Unifor whether the deal got ratified. So they have a tentative agreement for Ford in Canada. Unifor is using a much more uh, traditional bargaining approach and not letting us know what's in the tentative agreement until the membership vote on it. And I think they're making good progress. And I think you've seen Ford uh, go way out of their way to not antagonize the UAW. You've seen GM take full page ads out and the, the newspaper saying, oh, look at these greedy automakers. We gave them these great offers and they're not doing anything. And I, you're not hearing any of that from Ford. And Stellantis is a wild card because I don't know if they even want to settle. Ford has long had really strong labor relations. You know, Bill Ford, that was his first assignment when he came to work at the company as an executive. And he's really worked hard over the decades to you know maintain those relations when Sean Fain came out talking about, you know, the one true enemy, Bill Ford spoke out strongly against it, not confrontationally per se, but certainly trying to maintain peace with the members and extend an olive branch to the leadership. I think if you take a tour of the Rouge plant, which I've done a few times, you will see all over the Rouge plant little signals or, or symbols saying, Here's where we made a great deal with the UAW. The UAW is our partners. Here's what they've done. We thank the UAW for all of their efforts from keeping us out of that bankruptcy. They have the videos in their show showing, look, the UAW are important partners. 
And William Clay Ford Jr. said, if I ever see my employees as the enemy, I'm too long in this business and I'm leaving. So they want nothing to do with antagonism. They want to have this get sorted out. And there's a good economic reason for that. The Ford family owns controlling voting stock for Ford. And if Ford goes bankrupt, the Ford family goes bankrupt. And that makes family get-togethers difficult. Last night, there were a couple of reports, one of them by Automotive News, about some leaked uh, private messages written by Sean Fain's uh, communications chief talking about, you know, keeping the automakers wounded for months, you know, and, and really trying to damage their reputations. Some folks from the automakers expressed concern that, you know, it makes them feel like the UAW doesn't want to reach a deal and really is just seeking this, you know, chaos and, and disruption. And I guess, you know, now, of course, they're continuing, you know, at GM and Stellantis. Does that change the dynamic or what does that, what, do, what is your reaction to those memos and how they're being received? I think they're misinterpreting them. And anytime you're in contract negotiations, you always put your own spin on it for your best interest or for yours. Um, and you're seeing General Motors and Stellantis trying a full out public relations. They're the bad guys. It's not us. It's them. They're the bad guys. Whereas you're not hearing that from Ford, you're not seeing an escalation from Ford, and you're seeing Ford make more progress at the bargaining table already in Canada, and they are making progress here. I, I think Ford has proven that you can bargain in good faith and try to make an agreement. That is why they're not seeing the escalation. I think they value the relationship, and it may take longer for GM and Stellantis to make reasonable offers. So I don't think it was bargaining in bad faith for the memo that they brought out. I think it was the expectation that Stellantis will be a nightmare to deal with at the bargaining table. And I think those fears are coming true. And I think GM will relatively quickly agree to similar cost structure as Ford and will follow the pattern. I am much less confident Stellantis will follow the pattern. Uh, so Art, I just wanted to ask you, is there Anything else you wanted to share or make sure that we present to our audience? I think the biggest thing is that the UAW is fighting for the lower tiers and for the working class. They are not fighting for the highest paid UAW members. They're fighting for the lowest paid and they're trying to bring everybody up, which is the same fight you're seeing at UPS, the same fight for SAG-AFTRA for the Actors and the Writers Guild. You're seeing the same fight all across the country that the lower paid workers need to get a better piece of the pie to be able to afford the American dream. Art Wheaton, Cornell University, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. That was Arthur Wheaton with Cornell University's School of Industrial and Labor Relations. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, we'll switch gears a bit and talk about how AI and alternative data are revolutionizing automotive lending. LendBuzz CEO, Amite Kalmar joins us next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. 
Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process deal jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit rayray.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Auto finance company LendBuzz wants to change the way car loans are done. It ignores the big three credit bureaus and instead looks at a borrower's bank account, cash flow, and ability to pay bills to give everyone fair access to funding. Amite Kalmar is CEO of LendBuzz. He spoke with Automotive News senior editor Dan Schein about why he thinks the automotive lending industry needs an overhaul. Amitai, thanks for joining me on uh, this week's edition of the FNI Friday on Daily Drive. Dan, thanks for uh, hosting me. Start us off by uh, telling folks out there a little bit about LendBuzz and uh, how you're kind of maybe a little bit uh, an untraditional, non-traditional uh, lender in, in the automotive space. Sure. Uh, LendBuzz is an auto financing platform. Uh, we're based in uh, the Boston area. Uh, we started the company. Uh, with a vision of using alternative data, machine learning, deep neural networks to better serve unserved populations, provide them better access to credit, and enabling them uh, to purchase better cars at better terms. We were using AI before AI was cool uh, and continue to have that drive our credit decisioning and credit modeling, working mainly through dealerships, uh, like many auto lenders uh, are, so partnering with dealerships and uh, being able to offer some of the segments of the market uh, better terms. The segments of the market that we focused on when we started the business uh, are people that do not have a credit file or have a thin file. Uh, there are about 45 million people 
believe it or not, living in the U.S. with no FICO score. This population has always been defaulted to subprime, deep subprime lenders uh, due to the lack of their credit file. We developed credit models that can underwrite these uh, individuals uh, differently, can think about their credit worthiness differently and provide them better financing terms. As we deployed our SaaS software solution at the auto dealerships, we started receiving the full spectrum of credit applications from super prime to deep subprime and observed that our credit models do very well for the near prime population. So think about FICOs of 580 to 720. Uh, today, these are two core segments, uh, no file, thin file, and near prime uh, borrowers. Um, and we continue to, to expand our uh, dealership network and the consumers that we serve. You know, we think about traditional lending. Uh, you think of, you know, the big, uh, the big three credit bureaus and FICO scores and, and where you all land on this. And you kind of, I think, kind of buck that a little bit. And you, and you think that they're kind of like the short, there are shortcomings with the traditional credit score models. So tell me a little bit about uh, your theory on that. So the, the credit bureaus are doing a great job collecting data on any trade lines uh, that the consumer is using. And FICO score has built a great model to serve the overall U.S. population. Um, at the same time, there are tens of millions of people that are underserved due to their uh, limited credit files. So if you don't have a credit file or have a thin file or have not used credit much, you're being defaulted to subprime lenders where you're not necessarily not credit worthy. Uh, the way we think about it is augmenting or complementing the credit file with alternative data. Um, and then when you enrich the data set, you're able to analyze credit of individuals that are currently underserved or outside of the traditional credit system. We think about credit uh, differently. So we're not necessarily focused on your FICO score as the key driver for underwriting. So most bank models are driven by a FICO score and FICO score bands. Uh, we're not using the FICO score. Uh, we're much more focused on cash flow based underwriting. So uh, thinking about the cash flow of the individual, that represents for us in a better way both their ability to pay. So are they able to make a car loan payment as well as how responsible they are in their uh, managing their financials? The cash flow based underwriting is used in other consumer credit or other credit areas, uh, not much in auto. And bringing that into auto opens up new segments of the market for dealerships to sell better cars at better financing terms. Like you said, you, you were in AI before it was cool. That's all you kind of hear about a lot is you know, more and more adopting this kind of AI you know, for credit decisioning, speeding things up, and just kind of really getting a better view of who this potential borrower is. Tell me how AI, in your opinion, helps in, in auto lending. So I think AI is going to change a lot of the sort of industries or verticals um, that um, we know of today. Definitely in financial services, there's going to be a significant huge of, of AI in order to have more efficient uh, service to the consumers. Uh, specifically in credit, at the end of the day, credit models have always been uh, based on data. And what AI is, is uh, enabling is just using much more data than traditional credit models. So even before FICO, if you think about a traditional loan office or traditional bank, they would collect data on a consumer in a paper application 
look at a few ratios, whether it's DTI, PTI, other ratios that the bank would determine and make a credit decision. Eventually, it's a very limited data set. Then you have FICO that is based on a broader data set. So your trade lines, how you've been using your trade lines, let's say, you know, five years of payment history, more data points. Uh, now, when AI opens the ability to use many more data points, now you're able to use hundreds and thousands of data points on each individual. And then comparing, you know, each individual can be described as a vector of bits and bytes using a lookalike system, deep neural networks to compare that individual to thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of consumers that have already consumed credit. How have they performed in the past? What has been their delinquency rate? What has been their default rate and determining a risk score? So really the usage of AI opens our ability to use much more data, stronger computing power to generate more accurate answers and open up opportunities for individuals that have been outside of the traditional credit system so far. Auto industry is a traditional kind of industry, right? They're, they're used to the, the old ways. And all. Have you run into resistance with, with again, with using AI and looking at non-traditional ways to kind of gauge the credit worthiness of a borrower? Have you run into some resistance there? We've run into resistance, especially at the early day, earlier days. Today, our process is very seamless and very automated. So it actually usually is faster for the dealership both to get uh, the deal approved as well as to fund the deal. So when you uh, are digital first, when everything is digital, you can get funding much faster in that process versus a traditional process. You still see some resistance in the very traditional, you know, FNI officers, but also the the dealerships today are becoming much and much more uh, tech enabled. They're all focused, all their marketing today is online. A lot of their uh, BD is done online. So uh, they understand today that they need to use technology, leverage technology to drive their business. The more they use technology, the more they become efficient. And that uh, goes also to credit. Today, our process is, is very automated, very seamless, and we see significantly less resistance uh, versus the uh, early days of the business. When, when you speed up the process, customers are in and out quicker, quicker decisions, quicker in the paperwork. They're out. They're happy. And I think happy customers is what dealerships are looking for. Yeah, and as well as, as funding. Funding is a huge, um, you know, making funding efficient for dealerships and for finance officer uh, is a huge driver of, um, you know, advantage in the business. If you can fund them same day, they don't need to FedEx funding packages. They upload everything, request funding online, get a wire same day. It's a big driver for efficiencies within the dealerships. Amitai, it's very interesting stuff. I uh, really appreciate you spending some time with us. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate the time. Amite Kalmar is CEO of LendBuzz. He spoke with our own Dan Shine. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer and Alicia Anderson. Today's episode includes reporting from our own Michael Martinez, Lindsey Van Hulley, Marissa Marcinkowski, and Tierra Redding. You can get the latest news on UAW strike developments, analysis on the escalation, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 